0: Hey, Jordan. uh, What's up? Hey, Rob. What's going on? I'm just, I'm kind of steamed, man. Yeah,
1: you sound upset. What's going on?
0: Yeah. um, I don't know. Just fucking Joe Manchin again. You know, this guy, he just keeps (sighs) on, he's been getting under my nerves lately. And it's just, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I've had it about, right? Like if you're thinking of me as like a race car right now, I'm in the red. And uh, that's kind of the level of, that's how it's, that's the level of seriousness that we're, that we're operating under right now with this.
1: Is this about like the kind of like means testing the, the checks? Means to, te- sorry. Oh well, I mean you've heard he wants he, he's like not going to support the COVID relief bill unless it's like more targeted and basically just means testing it to make make sure like fewer people get it basically. No, I mean that, you, don't want, not, you don't
0: want you oh. don't want rich people getting twelve hundred dollars, right? I think he's actually correct oh, about that. Cause you know you have the six oh. hundred plus the twelve hundred okay. is the two thousand, and then you don't want to get you don't. <laughs> let's not get crazy yeah. with getting those out to you know like really wealthy people that make that make sixty grand a year.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So oh, this is about like the minimum wage increase. Like he w- that he's not supporting the minimum wage increase, or
0: no, no. I mean, you've raised the minimum wage. What's a, a big Mac's going to cost? Ten, fifteen bucks, something like that. I think that's a. Uh-huh. I don't know. I don't. I'm, I actually agree with him on that. Yeah.
1: Oh, so filibuster. Like he, he, that he won't nuke the filibuster or what? Is that it? Well, you got to have the norms though, right? Okay. I think, you know,
0: if you're trying to be the democratic party, you want to tell people, but you have to respect the different norms that are in there. Um, no, no, that's actually, that's, What's... I agree with him about that as well. This is about his vote with the near attendant thing. He's holding up, Joe oh. Manchin's holding up near attendance uh, possible position, possible appointment as OMB director and, uh, because of her posts and I'm just, gotcha. I can't really fired up about this I'm, i can't believe he's she deserves it he's keeping her away from this this rightful position i'm not happy about it
1: um well yeah i think that's uh, that's very unfortunate and, and it's a it's a blow to posters everywhere i think if we want uh, people in government who reflect our best values we need somebody in there who's willing to go toe to toe with uh dsa members with 15 followers in the middle of the night and i think we need we need people like that who are just completely willing to stay logged on 24-7
0: yeah there's there's definitely listen representation is important you know this Mm -hmm. i know this and this was a huge uh outreach to the online brain poison community Mm -hmm. and nira was that for for a lot of us i think she was that person Mm -hmm. uh we saw a bit of ourselves in her and uh that's why it's a little bit upsetting that that she's now being kept out of this position
1: well uh I hear you i'm with you what i think we can do is i've got a i've got uh, a 3 p.m with jennifer rubin i'll loop her in and i think us three can sit down at the mansion and have a, a talk with
0: them okay thank, i knew i would feel better as soon as i talked to you about this thank you that's great
1: Sometimes she's like doing like the whole like oh you just don't like women of color defense
0: oh yeah oh, that's very surprising yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> that is very surprising i guess it is kind of frustrating the um that whole conversation around nira and about how like her posts are like the thing that is that is holding up this appointment and not like the the fact that she stood for all these like horrible neoliberal policies and you know <laughs> gutting well you know being part of welfare reform and all this stuff and yeah that's fine i guess but the posts are, are no good we can't have those <laughs> god damn yeah very funny though very, it's yeah. funny seeing someone that blocked you on twitter being in these like senate hearings and stuff that's always kind of amusing
1: yeah yeah <laughs> she uh i can't remember. she blocked me a couple years ago
0: yeah, I got that—that that somewhat infamous DM from here at the one time. where She said, "Hello, I'm planning on blocking you." That was her. Oh, opening I forgot line. about that. Yeah. That was her opening line. Because <laughs> I was criticizing—I nice. was criticizing uh, Center for American Progress's uh, partnership they were doing with uh, AEI.
1: <laughs> oh right. <laughs> and yeah, then she which... got very
0: upset about my comment that I had made. With that I just I did not tag her in or anything or somehow found it. <laughs>
1: it's very play i didn't get the message so yeah
0: just the straight block
1: yeah that's unfortunate yeah a little bit
0: maybe she doesn't deserve this position after
1: all i was a big fan before that but yeah i know
0: i know you were a a breach of norms (laughs) (laughs) well hello everyone welcome back it's the insurgents it is episode 59 uh uh, rob and jordan here as always jordan i'm not even giving you the opportunity to
1: hey rob what's going on okay
0: well that's fine we can do that okay um, okay. So let's keep this short. We got it. We had, we just talked to uh, Chris Arnotti. Uh He's the, the author of the book dignity. Uh, he's a freelance writer and photographer. We, had, we just had a really great conversation with Chris. It went on for quite a while, so we don't need to get into the the weeds too much on anything here in the intro.
1: Yeah. I've, I was really excited to have Chris on. I've wanted to talk to him just in general about anything for a while because I read dignity a couple of years ago, really liked it. I've always appreciated his perspective. So great conversation. Um but yeah, I think we can kind of cut to the chase, but do want to just kind of take a second to laugh at Ted Cruz (laughs) just getting busted uh trying to go on vacation. Yeah, uh, as his um as his state was just frozen with energy grid just malfunctioning and people starving and without power running water and his, yeah. his steady stream of like ever-growing well, excuses. Though. Yeah. <laughs> first it was like, it's not him. Then it's like, oh, you're criticizing uh, him for being a good oh, dad.
0: Wow. That's kind of interesting. Yeah.
1: Then it was like, okay, it's him, but it, he was just accompanying them. Then it was okay. Well, actually he was going to stay till Sunday, but like the kids just were cold, they were cold for two days. Come yeah. on. You can like anyone any in that situation. Kids. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. It was a mistake. I just, I regret it. And now he's photo, photo ops, putting cases of water in people's trunks to try to, uh, you know, garner public support. In like an empty
0: parking lot. It's probably like one of his like aides or something.
1: Absolutely Um, staged.
0: (laughs) No, but it is really one of the truly remarkable things where you see like how little responsibility people like Ted Cruz feel like they actually have to like the actual constituents that they're supposed to be ostensibly serving. Like, not only should the government completely abdicate any responsibility of like having some kind of a a measured response to these kind of uh, events, but like, I'm not even going to go for a photo op like even that's what I was really had my mind blown by this, like, even just from a cynical politician standpoint, just go show up at at a food bank or someplace and just get your picture taken. That seems to be like the normal politician, lizard brain politician thing you do, even if you don't actually care, which he obviously doesn't, but he cares so little. That he's like, I'm going to literally take a vacation right now. And then as soon as everyone started getting mad at him, he was like, oh, maybe I, perhaps I miscalculated this. But like, that's how little he actually cares about doing the basic part of his job that <laughs> that people should expect from him. Pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, the defenses were hilarious from people like Ben Shapiro, who has a <laughs> business partnership with Ted Cruz. Uh, so he obviously is, is biased in that regard, but he was like, well, you know. What do you expect him to do? And then on the, immediately on the heels of that, um, democratic politicians from all over the country raise like millions of dollars and volunteer at food banks and give out supplies to people <laughs> and then Ted Cruz sees, I he's like, Oh, okay. Uh, here's some water just throws yeah. it in the trunk. Like I'm doing that too. Texas <laughs> strong. And just, uh, it's just like, yeah, what do you, what can you do? Like you are wealthy. Your, your wife works at Goldman Sachs. You have a six-figure comfortable salary and you don't have to work all year round. Um, you could easily <laughs> volunteer. You don't want to escape to Cancun because your kids are cold for two days. Meanwhile, and this is an issue we talk about a lot, the kids in cages that we've heard about for years yes. are without running water and without electricity in these detention centers, and nobody's doing anything about it. They are, there's multiple reports. Intercept had a good one. BuzzFeed News had a good one about people desperate for supplies. They were rationing juice. They were just basically giving people juice, and one of the people interviewed in the inter- an Intercept piece is diabetic, so he couldn't even drink it. You get a little bit of juice, a little bit of water no electricity no running water like a bottle of water you would be provided but that's it and and kids were getting sick in these facilities and the the grotesque and cruel immigration policies uh at the border are again on display and just liberals are just largely turning a blind eye to it because it's their guy. Oh, the, the responses have all been like, well, what do you want to do? He can't solve the problem in a month. Dude, fucking. Well, you see it's it identical then. to the
0: excuses that conservatives make about someone like Ted Cruz, right? Well, what? He's only the president. Like, what do you expect him to do? Exactly, yeah, right. Exactly. Like, it's, it's literally, it's just two sides <laughs> of that same kind of like sick partisanship coin where it's yeah. your brain has been totally taken over as part of your identity, the political party you belong to and you're willing to make excuses for these immensely powerful people who are not doing the things that they promised to actually like help people that are that are in need.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: I mean and you have Biden um who has now completely reneged on his prom- he he made a campaign promise to not have any deportations I believe in the first 100 days which he's now completely reneged on. I think ICE was just deporting people anyway uh regardless of this this like meager command that he had put out there to to try and stop these deportations but now he's completely gone back on that and those have all resumed thousands of people are being are being deported including to places like haiti with that that are like completely uh, destabilized right now um mm-hmm. and again it's another thing that liberals are just bending over backwards to make excuses for and it's just it's it's incredibly sick the fact that yep. as we've talked about many times these folks are more than happy to use the issue of immigration or use the kids in cages as a sort of political cudgel for anyone who doesn't just go along with whatever the democratic party wants to do uh, and then we'll just immediately uh, make excuses when these people get thrown under the bus and get get used as like political fodder and have their lives upended and ruined uh, because of these exact same policies uh, it really sucks uh, i it really yeah. it's really it's really
1: really shitty and it reflects this kind of the the this democratic uh mainstream and establishment that people like Bernie talked to talked about, but was widely decried because these these groups you don't really see you don't really see it from an outside perspective, but like he's right. A lot of these groups have ties across the democratic world, and that's what he's referring to. But even though they are issue organizations, they still are effectively, you know, extensions of the Democratic Party apparatus. Um and and when he he spoke to that in in campaigns he was attacked like oh that's not fair don't don't attack xyz group well now immigration groups are largely turning a blind eye to this but only groups like united we dream uh, are actually mobilizing around this issue so props to united we dream who has a tracker for how many people have been deported to kind of actually talk about this and, and amplify this they've done demonstrations and you know this is a young upstart organization that's it's only a few years old but but huge uh critical support to united we dream for actually talking about this not turning a blind eye to it because it's a democrat doing it
0: yeah um we're gonna get into this more i think uh, as we obviously move further into the joe biden administration uh, but I think it's important to uh, to bring on Chris Arnotti. Now, I think one of the things that we, we talk about, we've talked about this like endlessly over the last couple of years, um, both with regards to the, the Trump campaign and also the Bernie campaign and, and everything that's happened, which is like, what what do the working class of the United States want? And um you know, everyone has kind of different interpretations for what that's supposed to mean and what that means your priorities are supposed to be uh, I don't think Chris has all the answers, but he's someone who's actually spent time in a lot of these communities uh, Communities that he calls uh, the back row of America. It's really really interesting uh, to hear what he his His perspective on this kind of stuff, right?
1: Yeah, great conversation. So,
0: yeah, so let's bring Chris Arnady on He's going to be joining the show um, right after this We are joined by uh, Chris Arnati. He is a freelance writer and photographer. Uh, he's the author of the book *Dignity*. Uh, Chris, how's it going? Well, thanks for coming on the on the program. I'm oh, happy to talk you. to you.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Are you? Listen, we have got a whole lot of heavy stuff to get into, Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, are you doing any kind of interesting gaming lately, though? That's usually how we start <laughs> off these. Uh, are you a gamer? Yeah,
2: I it, am a gamer, and I'm, I'm playing. Uh, okay. I play oh, World great. World of Warships, Legends. Do you know that? It's a MOBA. No. Um, the, it's, yeah, it's the boat one, right? Yeah, it's a boat one, um, and I, I'm really into it. Um, in fact, they have. I just finished a game when you were called, and uh, they have a um, they have a a new I guess it's a 20-day challenge that I'm. I can tell you, I'm now. I'm on the leaderboard. I'm 2,339. I moved up 40 places today.
1: Okay, Very nice. So. so you take this. You, you take it seriously. This is cool. great. Um, yeah, great I, mean, I,
2: I I'm a big. I'm a big-time gamer, and I, okay. I think. Um, um You know, um, PS PS4. I don't have a PS5. Just PS4.
1: Hey, it's, it all counts. That's awesome. It's great. To yeah. Hear. Very excited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Chris, thank you for joining us. Um, I read your book, Dignity, I think a couple of years ago now, and I've always appreciated your your looks at areas in America that are forgotten. And you have visited my hometown, Youngstown, um, and you have written about it, and you understand how and why people there kind of feel left behind. Um, And we're seeing that play out more and more. Uh, in our political debates and in the responses or lack thereof to different crises uh, in this country. And one area where that is um, you know, prevalent right now is the coronavirus relief plan. Um, but beyond that, in, in kind of a broad stroke, if people are unfamiliar with your book or your work or your focus, um, could you give people kind of a, a sense of uh, what you write about, what you think about um, you know this this backseat uh, America, and you you use this. Um, I'm gonna describe it, but you use you kind of like use a, a phrase like uh, if you want to understand America, uh, go to McDonald's. Now, what is that? What do you mean by that?
2: Right. Um, yeah. So, I spent uh, roughly 10 years going to places people told me people tell you not to go, um, and and doing it. Um, kind of uh, for the entire ten years, um, and so I, I put. I started in the South Bronx, um, spending time with um, with homeless addicts, heroin addicts. Um, I spent basically three and f- three three to four years um, with them, um, documenting their their life, um, but becoming friends with them as well. Um, this was from like 2011 to 2015, um, where you know I. I um, you can I started started doing photography of the of, of these people photographs um, but then I, I switched into writing as well where I basically documented their lives um, and this is in one neighborhood Hunt's Point and you know it's a it's statistically it's quote the worst of New York City um, has the highest crime, highest drugs, all those things but I um, you know it's also only 15 minutes from from up from the the wealthiest part of new york city East side so part of what i was writing about was just this absurd division of wealth that you have you know in in new york city one of the most liberal um cities in the united states that you know you only go 15 miles away and there's there's these pockets of poverty that are that are pretty bad um and then i ended up quote taking my project on the road and i ended up Driving all over the U.S. about 300, I think I think in total like 400,000 miles on my car, going all over the United States to places where people again <laughs> would don't really tell you to go visit. Um, and I went to places, you know, I'd spend a week, two weeks, three weeks there, um, and getting to know the place and just writing, talking to people, and writing writing about them and writing their stories and putting their stories together. All that put, was put together in the book Dignity, where I talked about. What I thought was the largest division in the United States was was basically education, um, and so I use the schoolroom analogy of you know people like me who have success. I had been a successful banker prior to this, so I was a Wall Street bond trader. Um, so I um. You know, I call that the front row. I also have a PhD, so I'm kind of this, you know, highly educated person. And that, 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 those people you can think of as a lot of the blue check marks on Twitter that are kind of, you know, people with lots of credentials who who run around the world trying to, trying to build their resume versus what I call the back row, which is pretty much everybody else who just, you could call them normies, people who just want to get by with their lives, man. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, um, so I started writing about that division and how I thought that was a, biggest division. And one of the things that kind of, my, my project was entirely about, wasn't political at the time. It was entirely about addiction and poverty. Um, and, uh, you know, but it took place, you know, around, the, the, the heart of it was around 2015. On the road, 2016, of course, it took place uh, for, on the election of uh, the 2016 election. And I kind of got some depending on what your view is, some notoriety or celebration for having said, you know, hey, man, (laughs) I really think Trump here has a chance to win. And I think you guys are clowns for um, not recognizing that, um, you know, you guys being the kind of blue check of marks on Twitter who were making fun of what I was doing where I was just saying I think this this, this guy's got a real shot you know <laughs> I think we need to be pretty careful here about how we how we approach his voters and how 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 we approach the whole election and you know so that that happened um but the McDonald's things was when I was on my road when I was spending all the time out there you know kind of doing my thing i was spending a lot of time in mcdonald's because that's where a lot of people spend time <laughs> you know normies yeah. um and it's not you know and then i was kind of getting this pushback on twitter i started having this fun game on twitter where i'd make you know i would say something about mcdonald's and i get scolded for you know oh it's bad for you it's you know and you know i kind of made this kind of what i call the mcdonald's test how you view mcdonald's is it something that's kind of a community almost almost a community center which it is for a lot of working class neighborhoods yeah absolutely or is it a place that you mock and make fun of and i think you know it reached this apex at least on twitter when i think what's his name who's the guy he's some some guy on twitter who blocked me pretty early um Uh, I forget his name. Uh, um,
1: Could be anybody. Yes, exactly.
2: Um, But he was the one who said, you know, McDonald's is only for fat losers, you know. Oh, uh, Jesus Christ. You know, and so it was that kind of like, you know, um, that dynamic where I came up with the McDonald's test. How you view McDonald's tells you a lot about how you view the country. Are you kind of this detached, educated elite who kind of scold the normies for behaving, you know normal (laughs) or are you somebody who you know just wants to live your life and be left alone to some degree um and so that's kind of how i started seeing the world um and that's kind of what hopefully the my book kind of tries to tries to illustrate is that that we have this mass division in this country and it's really dangerous
0: yeah i'm wondering what um what your takeaway is from what's currently happening uh, in Texas with the, the the deep freeze that's happening there, the polar vortex followed by these ma- this massive like infrastructure failure, uh, and failure to provide electricity for people. Do you think like from from your experience, do you think people in that re- region? Do you think that could be like a radicalizing moment for them where they, they realize that the, the sort of people that have been in charge politically there for a long time and the kind of message they've been sending about the role of government and the role of all these different things? that they might like have start to see that they've been kind of had with some of that that talk or do you think these are people that probably view that that kind of elite political class as being pretty much equal regardless of what the what what happens in particular with the republicans or the democrats
2: i think you know the problem uh, people view i think the biggest different biggest issue i have with how people talk about politics on twitter and, and and on the new york times and cnn and all the kind of elite spaces is people are much more detached from politics than i think we all are like you know um, yeah. it, but something like texas is, is is something where they're no longer detached right like it's it's where the rubber hits the road right and you know it, it, politics is this kind of distant sport that gets played out and, you can root for your team but you don't really feel like you have a voice you know you're not, you know you're not a player you're just a fan and and you know because it's so detached from you and the coaches on both teams are so kind of like you know corrupt and they don't really care about you um but i think something like texas you know and the other one is the $2000 checks or the you know are places where you can't hide from that sort of stuff like that's where politics actually comes and hits your personal life and so that's where i think that's where people form political opinions is is when when it sat when it when it filters down to their level that's how they that's where they that's where politics has a chance of actually um, affecting them and, and I think mobilizing them and getting them to vote. And most of the people in my book didn't vote. I think a lot of people misunderstand that, you know, the, by and large the large, largest voting block is is do not you know, none of the above. I just don't participate. And I saw that in twenty sixteen and I see, so saw that to in lesser to degree twenty twenty people actually came out and voted a little bit more but it's it just don't feel like it It matters and I think you know it's just a, it's such a distant thing to them and it's just this kind of it's almost like you know if you grew up watching the Peanuts it's almost like the adults the wah-wah-wah you know yeah. <laughs> like yeah. everything is just like even me who tries to be engaged like I, I, I you know I still don't know, for instance, like, what the CBOE is, you know I mean, like, like all the, I mean, it's just, it's just this kind of amalgamation of just, it's, you know, again, it's it's adults going wah, 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 and every once in a while scolding them for not, you know, not doing, quote, the right, not living the right way. Um, so I think people have a really cynical, a justified cynical approach to politics. And I think how they view things you know i think we in the political class tend to you come from Youngstown so i think you have a much better understanding of how how that is um, that you you're not you're not as detached but i think a lot of our political class is just so detached these days so you know when when you know Matty Glacius fights with near tandem who fights with like you know or fights with you know so-and-so or they just don't know man it's like okay (laughs) so what you know um but i think i think something like texas where you know five days in the cold and that's going to affect people you know and that's going to have a have an impact just like you know big failures um, have an impact and also big big positives have an impact and so you have you have to go big and really hope To get to get people's attention, otherwise it's just you know it's just acronyms fighting going wah wah wah. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Oh, I uh, (laughs) I don't really know what to make of it. Um, I was thinking back as we're getting ready for this about how and I also reread your piece when you went to Youngstown and I was like just kind of marveling at uh, how like first you I think you did it really well compared to other people who just go spelunking into these areas. Um, uh, Trip. Trip Gabriel, I think, is the guy from the New York Times who just goes in and will just only talk to white people. <laughs> like uh, yeah, you know, local, I kind like of got
2: frustrated because I think it was Jamal Bowie who made this big thing about no one's ever written about Youngstown about the black community there my whole book my whole piece is about the black <laughs> yeah. community
1: <laughs> yeah I know I you mean, were like the only one who did it well
2: I mean the, t- the introductory paragraph is the town's half black
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, it, yes.
2: The, the the introductory photo is of African-American gentlemen I you know I mean that's partly why I like Youngstown It's it's 50% black 50% white and mm-hmm. I like those sort of towns because it has a real interesting. It's it's very diverse and, and, and it's in and it's working class and you know and you can go into McDonald's and in Youngstown and they're diverse. Like you have you know <laughs> it, it, you you can't escape the the issues of race and you can't escape and you know and people are more unified. Um, because because they're you know the 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 blacks the poor the working class blacks and the working class whites are more unified in the sense that they both recognize that they've been screwed over so mm-hmm. you know
1: that's what I think causes a lot of frustration for people in kind of the elite media circles. It's first you're you're also an outside messenger. You don't have the same credentials. You don't you know you don't go to the same parties. So it's it's you are you know you're not one of them. It's a big club and you're not in it. Just like I'm not in it. So I think part of it was that, seeing the response to your work and your pieces. And then also, I, I think um, the, just that messenger aspect uh, also informs how people react to the McDonald's thing. And I specifically think uh, or want to point people to uh, Freakonomics, who, you know, widely celebrated, wildly successful book series, podcast series, documentary, whatever. They do it all. Uh, Dubner and Levitt have a thing uh, or have a, have an episode of their podcast where they specifically talk about the most new, like, bang for your buck uh, item that you can get is the McDouble. The McDonald's McDouble. And that, I think, speaks to just speak, like, if it's presented in an academic context, then you get the flattery. And the you know the prestige uh, from these elite media circles because then you're thinking about it in this abstract way but when you're saying like no look people rely on this to survive it's often the only place they can get Wi-Fi it might be the only place they can charge their phone and they can sleep in the parking lot like that is a lifeline for people child care as well that's
0: yeah if you ever I mean child care is incredibly expensive and if you ever go and if you have kids and you go hang out at McDonald's, you'll see that there's families that spend time there specifically for that reason, because it's the place you can get a, a cheap meal. Your kid can run around and interact with other kids and play. Um, that's like invaluable. And I think people take for granted um, the fact that, that that outlet is there for people. Yeah, I mean,
2: it, I mean, they, they, it serves so many purposes. Also, it's a community center. It's where you, people can go and meet each other and talk. And you know, I, I always say that the elites kind of gave us this world you know the, the kind of neoliberal um, uh, technocratic class gave us this world of kind of banal franchises. You know that are distantly owned by you know by by these capitalists who live in these um, in these cities who then don't use <laughs> who don't use the, the 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 you know they they built this world of banal franchises that they then don't use and when they and when people use them they make fun of them for using them <laughs> yep. you know it's just, just like but but there's a lot going on in these franchises there's a lot more kind of community than they recognize and there's a lot more you know um, a lot more and unfortunately it's the only thing a lot of these towns have I mean I look I, I wish you know there were a lot more of kind of independently run stores and I'm kind of a localist in that sense but that's not what we have right now um, and you know and but what, what, what people are going to use what they have, and they're going to make the best of it, and that's kind of what I try to get across in my book: is people make the best of what what they have, um, you know. But the, the the I mean, again, it's really hard. You know, one of my biggest frustrations and why I basically kind of stopped going on Twitter is my, is just the. Uh, it's almost like you know i was fight back in 2016 through 2019 i spent all my time basically from 2015 20 i i spent a lot of my time fighting with people on vox basically anybody on vox i was fighting with <laughs> but it was just this like i was like you guys are so clueless you have no idea how clueless you are like mm-hmm. you, you don't know anything about the people you claim to advocate for you know you have no clue you don't even know the language they speak you know you're you're <laughs> You, your your career path and your friendships and all that, like you know, especially like people like you know these kind of these wealthy, well educated white liberals who are like you know, posturing on on racial issues is like you don't know. <laughs> the only African Americans you know, and the only Hispanics you know, are people who went to Harvard or Princeton. You know, yep. you don't know anybody. Like the minute you would go into, the minute these people would walk into, like you know, North Side of, Chicago, of Milwaukee, <laughs> they, they would be they would be eaten alive. <laughs> you know, and yet they're trying to make policy for people and and posture about how they're they're working on the behalf of these people. They have no clue who they are. Like you know. Send like you know Ezra Klein into like a Milwaukee, you know, a, a bar in, in Youngstown, like it'd be mm-hmm. painful to watch, you know. Yeah, and
1: uh, speaking of, I so I think like you did you also did a good job capturing kind of just how you, you spoke to people in, in one of your Guardian pieces when you went to Youngstown. Um, there was a woman who said, like, yeah, I think my coworkers are. Are, are, are voting for trump and yeah i think he's a racist but like i don't think that makes them bad people and i think that oh, there's a lot of coastal liberals that would just kind of recoil at that because you know they're surrounded by people who didn't vote for trump but it fucking makes sense that's an area that was decimated by nafta it was an area that is time after time dealt with like shift uh shift eliminations or layoffs or closures like just i just remember driving through growing up and just seeing boarded up building and just thinking that was like how the world looked and then when I came to dc it's like oh Oh, no <laughs> there's stores everywhere <laughs> interesting yeah, i mean, I mean
2: she, the thing was she you know she was a sanders voters she and she was actually i think she had worked in one of the steel mills and she is um you know she was a labor organizer and she's like look i gotta rely on these people these are people these are my neighbors mm-hmm. these are people i've worked with all my life you know <laughs> like, yeah. like you know i may not like the way they vote and i'll, I'll work my, a- my my ass off to get them to vote you know the way i want them to vote but You know, I got to live with these people, (laughs) you know, and, you know, I understand a lot of their frustrations and I happen to think they're wrong on on their solution, but I got to, you know, I, you know, and and one of the things that struck me when I was in Youngstown in particular, and it's true of, and I saw it all over is, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, Clinton, Trump won because two things in 2016, because two things happened. Um, The working class whites shifted towards Trump just enough did, And also, the working class blacks didn't vote. <laughs> yeah. They stayed home. Yeah. And I met a lot of those people in Youngstown. You know, I remember one guy in particular, I think he's in the, the article, um, who was like, you know, he, he's like, you know, what what is, you know, we had, we had, we, I think the phrase he used, I, I'll try to, I don't remember exactly, but it was basically along the lines of, I think it was very blunt. He said, we had our president. He was talking about Obama. And he says, "You know what? Nothing's changed." (laughs) Oh yeah. He said, "Look, you know, my whole my road is still filled with potholes. You know, and his house was one of. There was maybe twenty houses on that block. Three of them were occupied; the rest were falling apart. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you know, (laughs) like uh, nothing's changed. My 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 neighborhood's still falling apart. You know, and so what? You know, and he didn't vote." Like, he just, like, I'm not going to vote. Like, you know, I had, I got really excited about Obama. I got really, I really bought into the hope and change, and I had lots of hope. That there would be change and nothing changed, (laughs) so there was kind of what I again a justified cynicism. Like, why am I going to participate in this? It's like you know, and so they were just going for you know, uh, you go for the high volatility position. Like you go for the the big, you know. It's kind of like in gaming, you know. When you, it's kind of the inting, you know. You know, like you know, just fuck it, man. You know, (laughs) my my teammates suck. you know this game is corrupt. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna charge forward. <laughs> right. You know, if I get lucky, I make a few kills. Great. If if, if you know if, if if I get torpedoed really quickly, then, eh, You know, whatever. <laughs> so there's there's some, something of an inting mentality.
1: That makes sense though, because you know that that mindset uh, that this this guy had, and I think a lot of people don't really realize that cities like Youngstown, just like Gary, Indiana, and Flint, are literally decaying. Yeah. If there are just houses falling apart if go on Zillow if you're listening to this if you want to see just how bad it is go on Zillow and go to Youngstown and you will find five six bedroom houses that should in any other city cost like hundreds of thousands of dollars for like ten grand because they're falling apart because their neighborhoods are falling apart and that's that property value affects everyone around them when you have blight it is just like it is like it is like, it's I mean, like I, a I parasite
2: to, I remember one of, the, one of the worst times I ever got yelled at on Twitter when I just simply posted some pictures I took in Gary, Indiana. And I said, you know, I said, you know, the Yimby crowd, yes, in my backyard crowd who, you know, Mm -hmm. the the people who want to build, build, build in New York. I said, I said, you know, I understand your, your, your views, but there's a lot of places that would be, you know, there are a lot of other places desperate, you know, (laughs) that are having, you know, people would love, love to have people come, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and the Yimby people got mad at me because they were like, you're, you're anti anti growth in DC and New York City. <laughs> like no, but that's you know they're, they're two sides of the same coin. The fact that you all are trying to move into these into DC and New York City, you all the educated class, um, you know the young professionals chasing their careers, um, you're pushing out minorities in, in, the, in these towns you're moving to and then you're also causing these other towns to lose people who want, desperately want people so you know I think a lot of I, I wish a lot of people would would understand I'm all for building more in New York City and I'm all for building more in DC I don't want to get attacked by the EMB crowd again but there's a lot of places that would love to have people <laughs> and, and, and where it's very affordable to come you know like Youngstown and you know, I, I think you know you're you're saying we're both saying how quote bad i like youngstown and i'm sure you yeah. you know i mean yeah. like i now i have a one of the th- weird things about driving three hundred fifty thousand miles around the united states is that you start realizing it's finite <laughs> like i now have places i like you know i have stopping off places i now stop Youngstown is a town I stop in every time when I'm driving out west from from here. I have mm-hmm. my pizza place I go to. I have my bar Which I one? go to. Um, I, it's called Uptown Pizza. Oh, so I know it's, that one. It's, yeah. not particularly fa- it's not particularly famous, but I really like it. You know, <laughs> it's kind of, yeah. this, you know, and it's so there's these places I kind of, I like Youngstown and I really like it because of the, again, it's 50% black, 50% white. People don't have a lot of... People don't, uh, people are just normal, man. (laughs) Like you you don't, they don't immediately ask you like, what are you, what are you doing for your career? What college you go to?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you either went to, either went to Youngstown state or you didn't go to college. Like that's basically it. I went to Youngstown. That's
0: it. It's interesting too, to think about some of this stuff in the context of how, um, after Donald Trump was elected. You had a lot of people kind of scratching their heads and looking around and wondering how someone who's kind of so openly belligerent towards, you know, people like uh, the Latino voters and, and people of color and kind of openly misogynist, you know, how could this guy possibly get, get elected? And a lot of the, ex- you heard often like, oh, it's because of this kind of economic anxiety and that in a way that, that became kind of like a punchline for these, the kind of affluent liberals mm-hmm. that you're talking about earlier, uh, for every single time ter- Trump would do something terrible or any time one of his, his like lunatic followers would do something terrible. They would kind of use it this as this punchline go they must be very economically anxious or, you know, this this kind of stuff. Uh, But that became a way of like really obscuring the very real problem that you're describing that did, in fact, lead to not just Trump winning, because I'm sure there was people that that I mean, they're documented, there were documented cases of people that left the Obama coalition to vote for Trump. But I think like what you're describing is more a lot of the cause of that is just keep people kind of just generally giving up on the political process, becoming disengaged, and becoming disengaged, particularly with the democratic party who are like okay well we gave you a chance and you haven't actually done anything to improve my life in fact you've made it worse in many measurable ways so i'm not i'm not going to become like a right winger now or, or i'm going to not going to like immediately fall for the this kind of demagoguery but i am going to just completely kind of become disengaged with the political process and that's what does lead to someone yeah, like trump I mean, um, one of the things i
2: always say is yeah I mean, getting elected the disengagement like again going back to our earlier conversation politics again is this it's this distant sport Playing out far away, and this is what I I think the elite Democrats have a lot of trouble understanding is, it doesn't feel like the parties are that different to someone if you're if you're just like you know if you're sitting in a McDonald's in Youngstown or Gary or you know there are differences you know clear differences certainly on the racial issues and that's that's why we why we why a lot of you know, that's why I vote Democrat, <laughs> um, but. At the same time, it can be so distant, man. It just, it just it doesn't really feel like the parties are that different, especially given a lot of the failures of the last, you know, you know, after, during the Obama administration and all. And so people get, people just get frustrated. It's like, why do I care? You know, I think the one guy is a black guy in, in in Lumberton, North Carolina, who told me is like, you know, Trump, you know, Obama, you know, Bush, Clinton, they're all the same. <laughs> You know, what do I care? (laughs) You know, I'm still living in this housing project here and life still sucks. So I think there's this real sense, you know, I I say that, like, the Democrats come into these neighborhoods once every four years and say, you know, um, your job's obsolete. (laughs) Your town's icky. (laughs) Um, You should move, um, you know.
0: Have you thought about learning yes, to code? you know, <laughs> and,
2: and, and, you know, and, 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 oh, and your lifestyle is icky too. And the yeah. Republicans say the same thing, but they don't say the, your lifestyle is icky part. <laughs> so, you know, I yeah. mean, who are you going to vote for? <laughs> the person at least who lies and says your lifestyle isn't icky, <laughs> you know? So the Republicans do a better job of, 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 of pretending they care. Um, and yeah you know, of course you can't you can't overlook the racial component I mean come on I mean, the, the republicans don't are not- are not sure uh, yeah. Democrats are much better for african Americans than than republicans are. It's very simple, and mm-hmm. so we have the we have the split we have um but you know at some point the Democrats are becoming just as bad <laughs> so
0: All right well, that's kind of what I was also thinking about with regards to the situation in Texas because you have. I think rightfully, you have a bunch of people in the Democratic Party trying to use this opportunity not just to like help people that are currently struggling right now, but also to present themselves as an opportunity to be like, oh, you can vote for a party that actually cares about local governance and cares about doing this kind of stuff. But at the same time, while well, like that's a nice thing to believe, and, and maybe, maybe that's true, you can also look at places like New York or like California and the way they're completely managed by Democrats top to bottom and have completely... Uh, bungled the whole coronavirus response, or uh, have a lot of similar issues, or or you point to the the racial issues as well. I mean, um, as obvious, I would I wouldn't argue with that either. That the Democratic Party is better on these issues, but you also see a lot of the same problems with the police and with racial violence in cities that are controlled top to bottom yeah, by I the mean, Democratic you know, Party too.
2: You know, the Milwaukee is probably the most segregated city in the United States, and it, you know, it's it. It had a it had a socialist mayor for a while. It's like you know, so you know, the 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 left has its own problems when it manages the cities. You know, Philadelphia, um, New York. You know, a lot of these places, Cleveland, a lot of the city, you know, New York and Boston are some of the most quote. You know, Washington D.C. itself. You know, one of the things that fascinates me is, when I used to have to go to, I used to go to D.C. to give talks. You know, at, at these at these elite institutes. Um, I would, I would hang out in the McDonald's in D.C. and you know I, I don't ever see any like <laughs> D.C. has a has a large working class obviously has a large working class black population that lives on the other side of the river you know and and very few people in the media even bother to acknowledge them or know them or, or interact with them and so the so the liberal towns are extraordinarily segregated too you know and uh, it's very it's- frustrating. <laughs>
1: Also about DC, so yes, there are other m- m- biggest like, population densities in southeast, like you say, it's across the river. And you see... Throughout the city, I can count—I can't even count how many times I see that we believe in science in this house. We, you know, whatever that posturing yard sign. Everyone's got it, right? Well, guess where for these science believers? Guess where all the incinerators are? <laughs> Take a wild guess. What exact- part of town, all the incinerators are in. Of course. It's like out of sight, out of mind. Let's just—we're gonna pollute their fucking uh, their neighborhoods. That's fine, but we believe in science and we believe in racial justice. Okay, as you sit in like Calorama.
2: I mean, you know, you or you sit in um, uh, DuPont Circle and then you you mm-hmm. wouldn't you wouldn't go to over you wouldn't go over the river, man. <laughs> no, <laughs> and if you did, man, you like lo- lock your windows, roll down your windows, yeah. lock, lock your mm-hmm. like you know,
1: or in Georgetown where they like specifically designed the public transit to make it inaccessible to people without cars. Like Georgetown is deliberately inaccessible just to keep. You know, and, and there's also been reports recently of a – of a basically a whisper network where they had eff- effectively like a WhatsApp chat for all the business owners where they would just report when when black people would come in.
2: I mean it's just one of the – some of the most – one of the few public I – mean, it's not public spaces. It's semi-public spaces. That is when I go into a town and I want to meet immigrants and I wrote a lot about immigrants, Somalis and Mexican-Americans and, and Bosnians and Iraqis. The 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 Somalis are the only ones who made my book, but I've written a lot, you know, through my journey. Spent a lot of time in immigrant communities. When I wanted to meet immigrants, I go to the WalMarts. (laughs) I go to WalMarts because that's what they're going to (laughs) be, you know, interacting with because they're normal people and they get shop at walmart's but you i you won't find any elite liberals there <laughs> or right. re, elite republicans you know so this this the actual spaces that the working class uh, spend time in like mcdonald's and walmart's are pretty pretty integrated <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and so like the person who is with the black lives matter you know in in georgetown um you know and i believe science bumper sticker and all that would be scared to go into a walmart you know and or or hang into the somali community you know it's just they 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 to them diversity is just this token thing that they just think about as a symbolic gesture that they don't actually deal with not like you know in youngstown you have to deal with other races you know i mean you I mean sit down 50% black 50% I mean you got to you, yeah. you know you you got to interact and sometimes the interactions aren't cool you know people get people Get, don't get along all the time and so it's, it's it's a much more visceral understanding of differences in race and how it plays out than instead of this, this kind of idealistic tokenization like oh you know it's almost like the way the elites treat diversity is you know it really feels demeaning it's almost like they collect they they collect minorities like people collect pokemon like oh look Mm -hmm. at me i've now hired blank 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 (laughs) oh look what we've added to our newsroom it's like you don't see these people as people you see them as 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 things to collect to 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 make yourself feel better about yourself
1: it's very yeah it's very tokenizing like this like you know diversity in all aspects is great and it is it is a step in the right direction but I it's absolutely not absolutely completely it's, agree with that I'm, I'm, yeah, it's, but it's not enough you know like it's just like having a a, a ceo or a board member and like one position filled by by one person of color or or, or a black person on on a board is not going to help a, a large community of people in youngstown that doesn't matter when you have the same corporate policies and corporate influence and neoliberal policies um it doesn't make a difference. It's very hollow. And when people like, and liberals love to applaud like diversity and entertainment, like, okay, that's nice. That's great. I love, love seeing on screen representation. That does matter, but it's not enough and it's not going to address the systemic injustice around the country. And I think that's where people kind of just lose focus. They yeah, love, I mean, they I- love the entertainment components and consumption, but when it comes to actual policy, they just check out yeah i mean well what if we raise awareness though we can raise <laughs> lots of awareness
0: of it and that's that's really that's as far as yeah, need i mean to go. it's it's
2: you know it's the old joke of what was it about the um diversity at the drone factory <laughs> You yeah, know, i mean yeah. it's like okay yeah. <laughs> but i mean it's just like but the, that's my frustration is like you know look i'm not i'm not claiming the back i'm not claiming the back row normies aren't racist <laughs> what i'm yeah. saying is the, the racism plays out in a much more open, visceral, blunt way, whereas the racism of the elites is just as bad and and more damning, but it's also done politely. Like, you know, again, you know, I I'll, 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 I remember the – it's in my book, I think, um, you know, the guy, he's a – it was in a bar in Youngstown – not Youngstown, it was a bar in – and Parma, Parma, oh, Parma, Cleveland, which is, which is just basically Youngstown. Um, it's, (laughs) it's a white part of Youngstown. And, um, so when I was in Cleveland, I spent, I spent, I divided my time between three neighborhoods. One was, um, uh, Mexican-American neighborhood, the other was a white neighborhood, and the other, Parma was a white neighborhood, and then the black neighborhood down in the projects, um, the Althwaite, Al, I can't pronounce it, Althwaite Houses, which is in central Cleveland. So I'd spent my time ping-ponging me through these three working-class neighborhoods th- of each one different um, different racial makeup. And, you know, I remember being in the bar in the, um, in the um, being in the bar in, um, in Parma, and, <laughs> Parma. Um, and it was actually during Trump's acceptance acceptance speech for the conve- It was during the convention, and uh, you know, to use inappropriate term, I remember some guys coming in. Some guys came into the bar and started yelling, "Yo, Pollocks for Trump!" <laughs> they were Polish themselves, you know. <laughs> like oh, the Pollocks for Trumps are here, man. You know, and so it was the usual kind of like blunt talk. But there was this guy. He was part of the owner of the bar, and, he, and I'm like, "Who are you voting for?" And he's like, you know, I don't know. And I, and I he, he he was probably going to vote for Trump. He had voted for Obama, he, he, but he had been a firefighter for, for most of his life. And, and I said, well, you know, don't, don't you think, you know, don't you think Trump's a racist? And he goes, you know, and then I asked him about Parma. I was like, it's all white here. And he's like, you know, look, <laughs> if the people, he said, he, he said, I look, I, I used to, I, I was a firefighter over near Case Western in this very integrated, wealthy neighborhood. He says, "If the blacks who came moved here, were the people were the blacks that are in that neighborhood? I forget the name of the neighborhood, which is you know heart surgeons and and doctors." He goes, "I would love to have them here, but who they're settling here is Section Eight housing, and they're settling people out of out of out of you know." He goes, that, "The problem is is like, that's the problem." He goes, you know, it's great to be integrated, <laughs> if if you know if everybody's there has 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 lots of money, and it's an exclusive neighborhood, and you, you know who you let in is, but because that's not what this neighborhood is, so we have to we have to be careful who we let in. Now that's a racist statement, right there. You know, he's he's being racist, but what he, the point he's trying to make is is look, they'd remove themselves from this issue. They don't have to deal with a crime. They don't have to deal with this. They, they, you have to have like $200,000 $400,000 even enter this neighborhood. And so they don't have to deal with the issues we have to deal with. And that, you know, that's a problem. You know, these people, the wealthy have removed themselves from the racial issue by basically living in effectively gated communities. Like, I, I lived in Brooklyn Heights um, in New York City, which is, um, and I it was always funny to watch um, they, they stopped, they stopped, they finally built it, but for 20 years they stopped a park being built down um, near, near us, the Neighborhood Association, and th- the meetings were very blunt. They didn't want the wrong people walking through their neighborhood. The wrong people were the kids from the projects, <laughs> the black kids from the projects. <laughs> they did everything to keep out the working class blacks from their neighborhood. now. There was a few Black, you know, it was a, it was quote, they were very proud of being a diverse neighborhood, but they, they did everything in their, in their power to keep out poor Blacks from their neighborhood and poor whites. You know, yeah. So it's, it's, it's a very, it's a different form of racism.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, that's, I mean, this is the structural racism. This yep. is the, them just, you know, putting these, these issues out of sight, out of mind, then, you know. Throwing money at it and applauding their their efforts and planting that yard sign in the front in their front yard—it's yeah, great. I mean, Everything's taken care of. I
2: mean, it's also how they treat how they view immigration, right? Which is mm-hmm. they're all for it because you know, for them, what it means is um, you know, I so I'll say I'm all for immigration. I, I come I happen to be Catholic and I I also um for from I'm I'm all for immigration on very moral reasons but in any case the, the, the elites are you know are like they they love immigrants because you know hey man it's more more interesting food in our neighborhood <laughs> you know right. like but in youngstown or you know youngstown's a bad example it's more like um some of the towns i were i, I was in um um in, you know in um kansas where you know the the immigrants are coming in for meatpacking reasons yeah um it's completely changing their town, right? Like it went from being a hundred percent white to, to 60% white, which, you know, in, in a matter of five years and that, you know, in, in, a, in an environment where the town was already suffering economic problems. So they're going to see immigration much different <laughs> than somebody in Brooklyn Heights. who was like, Oh, did you try the new Bosnian restaurant? It's really good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah. Cause I wanted to bring this up as well, because a couple, I guess this must've been a year or two ago. Um, Tucker Carlson appeared on uh, Glenn Greenwald's podcast intercepted. And uh, their, their relationship has obviously been a a subject of a lot of sort of discussion online. And uh, that's one reason I was curious to hear what they talked about in this conversation. So I, so I listened to it. And I mean, what Carlson said during that interview, like, you can kind of understand how people come to these attitudes. He's he's describing this kind of urban decay.
1: Was it the Sorry? Roma conversation?
0: Oh, I don't, I believe he was talking about a neighborhood in Minnesota at the time. I don't remember the specifics of it, but I think that the general idea that like what, what you've been describing throughout a lot of this conversation already is this kind of decay that's come to a lot of middle America, right? Um, the loss of jobs, the deindustrialization and all these economic problems. And at the same time, in many of these communities, there has been large influxes of immigrants. And what Carlson conveniently leaves out when he talks about this and why working he's kind of talking about why working class people resent immigrants and why they want more controls in immigration. What he conveniently leaves out of that is the role that like the the elites and the ruling class of America have played in creating those exact set of economic circumstances and the fact that it's not the it's not the fault of the immigrants whatsoever that these economic certain circumstances are happening. Um, He of course neglected to mention that but I think what I took away from it, though, is that you can really see how it is P- easy for people, I think, in that situation, to develop these like resentments towards uh, these these new communities that are moving into their their uh, cities, and you can see how it becomes easy for a demagogue like Donald Trump or like Tucker Carlson to like use use immigration as a scapegoat to talk about the very real like economic problems that people in these areas yeah, are experiencing. Yeah, I mean, the best
2: example for me, the most most kind of the best illustration of this was um in Lewiston, Maine. Lewiston, Maine was um. Uh, was, in in 1990, 100% white. (laughs) I think maybe there was one black couple there. Um, But Lewiston, Maine, also lost a lot of its factories in the 80s and 70s. It had textile mills that moved out. And interestingly enough, Lewiston, Maine, is is roughly 60% Quebecois. Um, French, French, American, French, American, French, Canadian, American, <laughs> French, mm. Canadian, American, French, American, Canadian. Um, <laughs> Get in any case. Um, so in 98, yeah. <laughs> in 98, I agree. 98, they settled the Catholic Relief Agency, settled one African family in Lewiston, Lewiston's downtown was gone, was, was hollowed out. Um, and by 2010, the town was roughly 15% black. Um, Somalis, who weren't settled there but actually moved there on their own, they they wanted to be in Lewiston, and quite honestly, <laughs> the, the the reason they wanted to be in Lewiston is kind of shocking. They, they, I, I mentioned in my book, and nobody picked it up, was they wanted to be in Lewiston because they wanted to be in a white town because they were settled in Africa, they were settled in um and they were settled in in um. St. Paul and um, in Atlanta in the black neighborhoods, and they felt that the racism they were getting from the, they did not like the black neighborhoods. <laughs> they wanted to be in white neighborhoods, so a lot of them moved to um, Lewiston, and so Lewiston went all within a matter of 15-20 years went from being hundred percent white to eighty percent white, um, and it was interesting. So I was the only time I had talked to, like a specialist. I was talking to anthropologist in Lewiston when I was there, and I asked her like you know she studies this issue, and she said, look, racism happens. You get a big uptick in racism when there is a different looking group who act, who, who, who talk differently or look visually different group who are seen to be jumping the queue, seen, seen to be jumping the line. That's when racism and race relationships go really bad. And so she said this, you know, and so that night I went to this bar. Um, it's called the Snowshoe Club. It's um, it's a place that used to was started off as a club for people who used to snowshoe race, <laughs> but it's a members only club. You have to be a member to go there. Um, I joined. It cost it cost me a dollar to join, so I joined the membership. Of Five dollars to join, but it's it's a mostly white bar in a black neighborhood. Um, it's been there since the nineteen twenties, and there's this guy. This guy was there, and. He um, he was drinking with me. We were sharing cigarettes and talking, and he went on this racist rant against the Somalis. Um, um nasty a nasty rant. And um, what was interesting is the the bartenders all everybody there was white. The bartenders and a bunch of the guys stopped him and basically said, "Dude, man, these these are not bad people. They're, they're the ones who actually said to him like, you know, dude, you got to stop this." <laughs> but this guy was he he was in he was really poor he was having a he had a rough life he was hobbled and in his mind he was saying you know he's like one of the things he started yelling to me about or arguing or you know, discussing with me he said look Uh, He gets food. He goes, he goes, his line to get food. He goes to a place. He's in and out of camp. He's in and out of homes. He's in in Section 8 housing. Sometimes he lives in a tent near the river. He's having a rough life. Um, But he was saying that on Thursday, he he goes to pick up, you know, free food. He said, Look, my line is now three times as long as it used to be. (laughs) He said, It is all these, quote, dirty Somalis ahead of me, unquote. Um, he goes and look. I I, I fought for, I fought in this country. I fought for this country. I injured myself in you know Vietnam. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what he said. And he goes and I and I and I have to stand in line behind these people <laughs> who just came here four years ago. Came here, so you know that was his perspective. And he he said exactly what she had said. He would, and he literally he literally saw his line being twice as long as it used to be. And he was going to blame these people for it. He was going to blame all his problems on on these Somalis. Um, and again, one of the things I would like to note is that a lot of the other guys there came to came to the defense of the Somalis, so it didn't get out of hand. But it was it was him visually, like he in his mind, like you know what I fought for is on my country, uh, and now I have to wait in line behind these people. That's how he saw it. Yeah,
1: and, and like now obviously, you're not you know absolving him of, of no, the no. racism in that <laughs> statement but like like this is this is the pro- like the problem is clearly like an insufficient distribution of resources and like it it there seems to be a through line between his perception of the problem the cause of the problem and a solution that could you know likely lead to a better outcome but people don't want to talk about that we just we just talk about racial divides without a class Underlying, like the underlying foundation.
2: One of my frustrations back in twenty sixteen when I used to get in these fights on Twitter was the Vox crowd and those types. They saw racism as this unchanging quality that was one or zero. Yeah. I see it. I see it as as a thing that ebbs and flows. Um, and I and one of the things I was I, I was used to write in my old pieces. I said if if you wanted to create the perfect vac, the pure perfect exp, the perfect conditions for increasing racism we've created it, we've, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that you've, you know, it's kind of like you're throwing, you're sinking ship (laughs) and only a few are getting ahead and we've created the perfect environment for, for for this, for, you know, as this woman said, this, this academic, this professor said, the perfect environment is, you know, where you, where you have visually different groups are seen to be getting ahead and, you know, If everybody was, if all, if if the water was was lifting and all boats were increasing, you'd be a lot less racism. When you start having, you know, the water draining out and and sinks are, ships are sinking, then I think you create the imperfect environment where I think you have a, you know, that's not absolving racism by any stretch. Right. I'm just simply saying right. you, you, we've created conditions where it's where it's more likely to happen, and that's and that's bad. Yeah. You want to create situations, you want to create an environment where there's less less racism.
0: Well, and you also factor in the United States too in the way that it's never really reckoned with the end of the civil war really and it's still got like these like did, uh, wounds from the civil war that have been like had band-aids placed over them but have never been really dealt with or addressed in any way so it's it's created this whole pa- cultural powder keg as well where you have a lot of this attitudes ingrained and then when you th- add in these very real economic factors it just like in it just it, you know enhances all of that stuff yeah i
2: mean it's it's just um it's a really bad um you know I we've created the conditions in this country for I mean, I, I'm not very hopeful going forward. I think we just created the conditions where you when you have this sort of inequality that's not just about money, I mean, it is about money, but it's more than money. It's just you know you have two career paths. You can be in young town and feel like a loser and know that and feel like everything your world's falling apart. Or you can escape and feel like you've, you know, you're on the path to kind of building a career. Um, you know, we've created these two very different worlds where the bulk of the people are are stuck in towns like Youngstown, where they feel like their world's falling apart, and they feel like nobody values them, and they feel like their people think their lifestyle is icky. Um, the way they, you know, if if they're religious, people make fun of them. If they if they stay in their town, they're considered to be losers. So that's an environment that's kind of very conducive to kind of having extreme politics. I happen to want extreme politics uh, in the left wing direction. I'm not so sure that that's <laughs> is what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, one, one of my uncomfortable conclusions from my project is I'm not so sure that's where the country's going to go. <laughs> you know, uh, I think. Yeah i think there's a good chance we could go extreme right as if i would like us to see you go hard left but i don't i don't think that's going to happen
0: well i think like we've learned a lot i think from the last couple of years is how the ruling class of america are they're they're much more willing to come together to ensure that there's never going to be any kind of a left-wing populist movement but when these right-wing populist movements start they don't seem to have quite the same sense of urgency about uh, coming together to ensure that it doesn't materialize into anything
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I, I think – I actually think a lot of what passes as the kind of centrist Democrats, the Democratic donor base, you know, is is, is at, at, at heart more comfortable with extreme right-wing politics than they are with extreme left-wing politics. You know, yeah. um, I, I don't think – they don't want either. I'm not saying they want them. <laughs> I am saying that if they if they had to like you know you saw this in 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 the way they attacked Bernie, right like yeah. d- the amount of anger like the amount of you know the amount of um they really got their they really got they really got bernie got them much more scared than trump did, you know <laughs> um and yeah so.
0: Well, this is a pattern that we've seen play out time and time again throughout history as well. Like you look into the history of fascist movements in Germany or in Italy, uh, both in each of those cases, it was very, very kind of similar where um, the, the sort of elite liberal class um allowed a right-wing movement to uh to build and to grow into like the dominant sort of culture because they were fearful of uh, a similar movement happening on the left uh it's happened many many times throughout history and i think you're right that it does seem to be happening currently in america as well yeah i
2: mean you know i think you know there's you know The failure of Bernie to, to, you know, Bernie had his chance. I mean, it really, this is, it's really. uh, I'm really of the belief that 2016, he would have won in 2016. Um, Absolutely. I um, I have, and I was saying it then, and I, I, and I really do believe. But um, yeah. I'm not. So I don't know about 2020. Um, I, I think it would have been uh, a different. I think it would have been a little bit um, harder for him to have won in 2020. But I think in 2016, you know, and the, and the fact that he he didn't win, the fact that the Democrats basically, you know, why Obama cleared a path for Hillary to the degree she, he did is still something as I don't quite understand. Um, you know, why the Democrats cleared her path, the path for her? She was so so such a bad candidate um you know but um and, and the and the, the amount of stops they pulled out to stop him both 2016 and 2020 is really depressing <laughs> you know it's almost yes. like they're willing in the the next trump
1: yeah i mean to tie this whole conversation together i mean an example of how flawed uh she was in in, in areas that are traditionally democratic i mean young so youngstown an area that voted for you know has been voted democrats sit back to nixon overwhelming support for uh obama you know just reliably blue area barely went to clinton but like in those so both of those how they treated those areas as trump goes in and says it speaks specifically to job loss it says all the jobs are coming back that obviously did not happen but he went there and made the campaign promise. Hillary goes there, goes to a bar downtown with like a leather jacket, barely sips a Guinness in this like clear photo op, and it's like they're trying to do the whole like, oh, she's cool, right? And it was just like, it (laughs) felt, I mean, that was the bar I went to. Did she
2: really do that?
1: Yes, that was the bar I went to in college all the time. It was called uh, O'Donnell's, and spent like, Countless weekends <laughs> there, and I'm just like seeing that picture. It's like, oh no, 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 no! She doesn't belong. Woman there. of the people. Anybody who about? has been to that bar knows she does not fit there, and she's wearing a leather jacket. So it's like, okay, no, this is so <laughs> obviously fucking staged.
2: That's R slash cringe on Reddit, man. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. Um, I mean, but that's... then it
1: ends up going Trump in 2020. Like for the first time since Nixon, the whole county went red that doesn't happen
2: that's just jaw-dropping yes <laughs> um how, how much do you want to buy i'm curious um
1: several percent
2: wow yeah that's not surprising yep. i mean yeah man. mean hillary and youngstown just doesn't work man no. <laughs> like it's like you know and but if you don't know youngstown you, you how do you do how do you describe Hillary why Hillary doesn't work in Youngstown? Just it just doesn't work man <laughs> like she's yeah. just she's just not comfortable she wasn't comfortable and I mean she Bill was comfortable around people man he just knew how mm-hmm. to like he, he, you would have to drag him out of the bar we had that prisoner <laughs> yep. like she yep. didn't want to be in that bar <laughs> like, yeah I mean you'd have to drag <laughs> Bill out of the bar at 3 close in time man get out of here
1: <laughs> which is also kind of like Interesting that Biden didn't win. I think this reflects uh, a bigger shift in Dem messaging overall. Well, in 20, uh, 2012, they sent Biden there a lot to stump for Obama because Obama was steeped in that elitist. Did, did he uh, go there?
2: Did he go to Youngstown?
1: This cycle? Yeah. Uh, a couple times. Yeah, they had one outside of, I believe, near Lordstown to kind of highlight how the whole factory shut down. Um so I mean, he the, should, he should have Lordstown done. was a huge, it's also hard to draw,
0: draw lessons from this campaign because it was a little bit different because of the yeah, pandemic, yeah, but
1: they did, they did a car rally there and they did a, a bunch <laughs> of train tours through Ohio, but they really hammered GM closing. So if, if people aren't familiar, Lordstown was a huge GM plan outside of Youngstown, thousands of jobs. Most people had some sort of tangential uh, connection to it through friends and family, which also gives you friends and family discounts. Um, so. It was a it was a huge lifeline for people to even get a car, and they made the Chevy Cobalt after years of making uh, the Cruise and the uh, the Cavalier. I know it, it was as like the, a, I know it as the, a
2: Cruise plant. That's what I know it as. <laughs> yeah, it was a
1: Cavalier plant when I was a kid, and then Cruise and Cobalt. I don't know what what the current well, it's nothing now, but it was a huge lifeline for people in the area, and. Uh, they had eliminated a shift, and then shortly after Trump was elected, eliminated another one before ultimately closing it and outsourcing all the jobs. So Biden really hit that, but still it wasn't enough. They still they still went for they yeah, still want Trump.
2: I think I mean I Ohio is now a red state for sure. I, I just I don't see it coming back. Um, Flor I Florida, my home state of Florida, is now a red state too. So I think the Democrats are going to have to rely on um, what they did this time, which is managing to to pick up Georgia and and trying to swing North Carolina and, you know, going with the kind of the the professional class, um, suburban over the working class, because they're, you know, one of the things that I predicted that unfortunately came true this election is that uh, Latinos um, are are moving towards Republicans. And I think that's going to happen more and more. Um, So, you know, I think-
0: if only there was a guy that was running in the Democratic primary that was really trying to bring him into his political coalition. Well, too bad. I guess we'll never have to worry about that. I
2: mean, you know, I, I think, you know, I think the, the Latino community is obviously much more diverse than the word Latino. Um, you know, there's Mexican Americans, there's Central Americans, there's Cubans, there's, um, you know, there's uh, Venezuelans. So, but it's a pretty diverse group. But I, I really think the Democrats are in danger if they're if they don't change their politics of, um, of losing Mexican-Americans in particular um, to, to Republicans.
0: Well, and this is something I talked to this about, I talked about this um, with my friend, Ramon Villalobos a few weeks ago. Who's a, He's a comic book artist uh, who talks about this stuff a lot. And um, what he told me was kind of interesting too, because I think when we think about like uh, immigration issues and, and what, what Democrats should be offering Latino voters, um, what he told me was interesting, which is that like not a lot of these communities, like immigration, isn't their number one priority. Their number one priority is like, do I have health care? Do I have a job? Do I, can I go yeah, to school? Yeah,
2: that's, that's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're I mean, that's that's the problem with Democrats is they treat they treat them as yeah. cartoon characters when in fact they're just they're they're much more nuanced people. Like you know, like he, I'll never forget. I probably the town in America I spend the most time in. On my project was El Paso. I absolutely love El Paso. It's my favorite town in America. Um, it it has six pedestrian walkways, three, three pedestrian walkways over the, where you know, I think you know, three hundred thousand people cross the border every every day um, into El Paso. El Paso is probably seventy five percent Mexican American, and there's literally a fence. That goes that goes right through El Paso, cuts it cuts it between that and from um, Juarez, which is the Mexican equivalent of El Paso, and it's 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 a fence. I mean, it's a, there's a fence that goes through people's backyards, um, and I remember interviewing people back in 2015, 2016 along the fence, um, who had the fence in their backyard, um, and not surprisingly, everybody there was Mexican Americans, and some of them had been immigr- had immigrated, um, you know. Um, Six years ago, I become American citizens only six years ago, and all of them loved the fence, and all of them wanted to, um, and about sixty percent of them to seventy percent of them wanted to curtail immigration, <laughs> and I remember thinking, yeah. wait a second, <laughs> uh, this kind of goes against the popular narrative they're, that they're
0: I've views been kind of led to believe about this,
2: but you know. They they were much more again they they weren't the some of them were conservative and some of them were liberal but like like most of the population they weren't single voter issues they weren't single issue voters about immigration they had other issues they you know they they wanted they they cared about health care I mean that's to me the, the number one issue if you want to bring back the working class solve health care and I think I think the this is where the technocratic the Vox crowd uh, you know, the D.C. crowd gets it wrong. Obamacare is a disaster for a lot of people. It's, it's painful to use. It, it just it just seems to have made things worse for a lot of people. Now, I'm glad Obamacare got passed. I, I, I wish we would do a lot more than that. I'm not saying Obamacare is not better than what it came before, but it's, it just feels like, you know, like it's, it's, it's hell to use it just feels half-assed and it feels mm-hmm. like it's just like if you spend all your chips on this <laughs> it's just more mess it's more confusion more more bureaucracy more all that so i think it, a lot of people came away feeling really bad about it um, like, you know, that's what you did, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, that was your signature issue. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, it still really has dramatically changed my life. Now, some people it has, and that's great. And I'm applaud that, but a lot of people has just made it harder. It's made, it yeah. doesn't, it doesn't seem to have healthcare is still a fucking disaster in this country. And it's, it's still the, the number one, number one issue. That's just a, on a moral and a practical issue. is just wrong. Like, you know, that we don't provide simple health care for people is just so wrong on so many levels.
1: In 2018, we found <clears throat> it was like the number one most effective topic uh, for political ads. So at work, we just kind of hammered that stuff. And then in 2020, it was just completely it was just nowhere. Every once in a while, you get a mention of a public option. But now I don't know if people have noticed, but well, yeah, and it's it, nowhere. In the, in it, the was, public it, it was it wasn't it
0: wasn't an item of discussion <laughs> in the Democratic primary, and the Democratic Party made sure that everyone understood yeah. in no uncertain terms that they were not having anything to do with like mm-hmm. changing it in any profound way. Uh, that was what the whole primary was about in the first yeah, yeah. place, you know. And yeah. now
1: they just never talk about it.
2: I mean, people. People like government that people, even Republicans, even, you know, even the most conservative like government that does that works like when they got their checks, man. They like that, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. you know, Social Security. It works. It's simple and it works. People like effective government. Obamacare was not effective government.
0: There's a conservative policy. That's that's the whole problem with liberals trying to reach out to conservatives by passing conservative policies because they think that makes it bipartisan. But then lo and behold, it's this market based bullshit that doesn't actually help people or doesn't work and it's extremely unpopular which is you know that's that's the logic there though
2: just give people just give people some policy man give that that affects their life so that and it changes it in a positive way then 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 people like government people don't like government because their understanding of government is like you know Tangles of paperwork and bureaucracy and means testing and this and that. Nobody likes that, man. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, it was very funny to see the mea culpa from uh, Matt Iglesias recently, who now that he is uh, making like half a million doing a newsletter, uh, announced that, oh, wow, I just signed up for health care to the yeah. marketplace. This sucks. Well, yeah. Well, we've been yeah. trying to tell you, you your for powers, years. we all talking about it's how terrible. great the,
0: the website is. When you go and you fix the yeah. little slider. With the, the, the competition
1: will drive yeah, pr- the incomes prices down. That you
0: put in your uh, income and you get all the different options. It's like, <laughs> yeah. this sounds horrible. Very cool. Again, Belt as someone that does not ever have to think about this stuff, plans. I'm just like, how does, like, like, it just boggles my mind that this is like what they've convinced themselves <laughs> that, like, this is winning <laughs> politics to people. It's just like, it's mind blowing <laughs> to me. <laughs>
2: as a head of a family of four who, um, who has to sign up regularly for healthcare, it's just hell, man. It's just, I, it, my wife must spend, you know, <laughs> and it, she handles it because I, she, cause I throw things. Um, but she probably spends like two weeks of her, of, her, of the year, just dealing with healthcare, trying to, trying to changing plans. That it's just, it's just absolute hell, man. <laughs> and we're, and we're well off. So it's, it's, you know, um, even though we sign up for the through the exchange. um, Yeah, well,
0: that's the I I don't think we shouldn't get too into the weeds on this because we've been talking for an hour and seven minutes already. But I think that's the interesting thing, again, from my perspective that I always notice when Democrats talk about, uh, you know, oh, Bernie wants to have universal health care. But you know, so do I. It's just we want to have to do these have these different approaches. But when someone like Barack Obama or Joe Biden says, we want universal health coverage, they want more people under the private insurance umbrella, like more people forced to purchase private health insurance, which doesn't always even lead to positive health outcomes. Like a lot of the time, these insurance companies are bending over backwards to like help people actually pay their medical bills as little as possible. That's how these companies remain profitable. So the whole idea of like, P, like universal coverage constituting people that are purchasing health insurance from a private health insurance company. It's just completely, fu- it's complete fucking nonsense to begin
2: with. Yeah, I mean, again, people want, people will vote for big government if big government provides them <laughs> actual, pol- actual real, <laughs> real things, you know, um, like, like, like social security. That's big government and people love it because it's, it's a simple, it's a simple, program that provides people goods. same with you know medicaid when you get older it it's simple it provides people you know tangible tangible results as opposed to paperwork and and just just hell like yeah the the, the healthcare system we have now is just just it's just embarrassing it's, it's just absolutely embarrassing
1: <laughs> yeah well should we <laughs> yeah,
2: i suppose All so right. yeah. well thank you so
1: chris um yeah thank you for joining us so where can people find your book and your work
2: um my books on you know you can go my books out there i order online i guess it's called dignity um I, i'm no longer punditing anymore i gave up so Good for you. I stopped, um,
0: congratulations
2: so, yeah it's just I'm actually writing a novel now which I'm so f- I'm so fed up with the um, the punditing is just so broken like it's just uh, I, God bless yeah. both of you. Now they let people to like do me it, do it now.
0: that's uh, that's a terrible things I've gotten. Yeah. Uh,
2: <laughs> You know, it's, I, I just find that I it, it was getting it wasn't making me happy, and I didn't feel like I was getting any getting through to anybody. Yeah. So <laughs> it's lose lose. So I just play my game. What games do you play? Before we go, what games do you guys play?
0: Uh, I just started playing um, Borderlands Two. I never played a Borderlands game, and I just I just started playing Borderlands Two. I've also been playing a uh, Disco Elysium.
1: I'm a big Fortnite st- guy. Uh, my buddies and I play like every night.
0: You're still oh, into you that? Know, I didn't I can... realize you were still <laughs> going with that,
1: dude. I <laughs> I love it. It's so fun. I'm good at building on the fly okay. and editing on the fly. So I'm like, it's, it's
2: I it's fun. Know, it's too frenetic for me it just it makes me yeah. anxious <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um but I, I i i'm gonna when i get my ps5 I'm gonna, I'm gonna get the new demon souls game and that's my goal oh
0: <laughs> nice so, you gave up the punding punished uh, the punditry world to like punish yourself in in demon souls
2: <laughs> yeah, oh yeah you know i mean I, i'm gonna go hardcore man if you're gonna if you're gonna go to <laughs> yeah, a game, we go hardcore
1: <laughs> well gaming gaming is much more noble than punditry Anyway, that's true so. yeah absolutely
2: yeah on, on that note, I'm going to get back to my wor- world of warships. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks a
0: lot, Chris. We'll thank talk you. to you soon. Thank you, guys. guys. All right, cheers. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. Please remember to subscribe over at theinsurgents.substack.com. Find the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. And please remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's very helpful, and we appreciate it a lot. But please, again, Don't mention Ken Klippenstein in the review. He is banned from the show. It's a lifetime ban, so please do not mention him in the review. And we'll be back later this week with more of the content that you know and love. Goodbye.